0: Good morning, it's good to see you this morning, glad that you are here with us. We are going to be in Acts chapter 10 today, continuing our journey through the book of Acts and uh, kind of getting back on track. I know I've bounced us around for a few weeks, going back and looking at some things and spending some more time and stuff that we would covered before because there was more to see, but we're probably going to start trucking along at a chapter a week again here for a little while, so it will make it a little easier for you to predict where we're going to be, but before we jump into Acts 10, I actually wanted to start a little differently this morning and read something to you um, from a devotional that I read every day. It's called God is Enough, and it's actually a collection of writings from a lady that lived in the 1800s, um, and it's always good for me to hear from people from different time periods, different cultures. Um, and hear the same truths about God that we hear over and over and over because you know then these are really truths about God that stand the test of time and it's not just us and our limited view seeing it. And so this was yesterday and I just want you, and it's gonna take me a minute to read it so stick with me. It's not super long, I mean it's less than a page. But I want you to hear this view and you can hear it in the title of God is enough but this view of God um, and knowing God at the center of everything else we would know and I think this will, it'll tie into what we're talking about in Acts 10 today anyway, but just in general with the way we study the Bible, it feels really significant. So listen with me for just a minute if you'll give me your grace and patience. She writes, What matters most is not knowing what we are, what we do, or what we feel. It's becoming acquainted with God, getting to know what He is and what He feels. Comfort and peace can never come from anything we know about ourselves, but only and always from what we know about God. We may spend our days in what we call our religious duties, and we may fill our devotions with fervor, yet still be miserable. Nothing can set our hearts at rest but a real acquaintance with God, for everything in our salvation must ultimately depend on Him. According to His worthiness of our confidence, so must our comfort be." If we were planning to take a dangerous voyage, our first question would be what kind of captain we were to have. Our common sense would tell us that if the captain were untrustworthy, no amount of trustworthiness on our part would make our voyage safe. It would be his character and not our own that would be the thing of paramount importance to us. The vital question of all ages is what is God's name? The fate of humanity hangs on the answer to this question. Everything in a universe will depend on the sort of creator and ruler who has brought that universe into existence. If the God who created us is a good God, then everything must of necessity be all right for us. But if he is a bad God, a careless God, or an unkind God, then we cannot be sure that anything is right and cannot have peace or comfort anywhere. And this idea of who God is, being the core the defining thing for everything else we're going to know and not that there's nothing else to know but that everything else we know has to connect to who god is because god is the center of all things the foundation the creator the one from whom everything flows that's why we keep week after week approaching the bible the way that i keep pushing us to that we would say if everything's about god the bible's about god our religion's about God. Our Bible study is about God. Our worship's about God. Our time together is about God. And if we don't see who God is, whatever else we do see will already be off base and out of whack and, and, and skewed because it should be connected to God. It should be built on God. It should be flowing out of him. And if it's not, it doesn't matter how clearly you see that, you're seeing it in the wrong way. And so that's why we start every week. And last week I, I tried to roll it out in a different way for you. I'm going to remind this that we would come and say, okay, we need to depend on God. And this is why we pray. And then we need to focus on God. And that's why we're asking this question, what does this teach about God? And then we need to be changed by God. God. that the deep, internal, spiritual work of changing our hearts has to happen by God. And so we're asking, telling us to examine our hearts. And then, powered by God, that if this is really going to happen and change our lives, it's going to come from Him, pouring out His Spirit, and specifically, to tell others, to share with others what He's sharing with us. This approach of depending on God, focusing on God, being changed by God, and that change being powered by God so that it really produces fruit in our lives. Um, And and we're going to keep doing this today in Acts chapter 10. And I think you're going to see how Acts 10 connects to everything that's come before. But I just thought it was good to hear from somebody else, somebody from like 150 years ago, saying the exact same thing. Um, And so we're going to start right now by praying together. And then I'm going to read. And if you're copying down, what do you need me to do? Up or down? I see you all writing still, so let me give you a second. Everybody down that far now? There you go. And the piece of this, I mean, I I know it's obvious, but the God-centered nature of this. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to read Acts 10, I'm going to ask you to be listening for what the Spirit would say, that the truths about God and who God is and then how that impacts us as his people, as his church, your life and your heart, and we'll talk through some of that. And I do have a few thoughts uh, that we'll get to if I feel like it's the right time for that. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you that you have given us the truth of your word in the Bible, and that you have given us your spirit to teach spiritual truths with spiritual words, and to open our eyes to see who you really are, and to soften our heart to believe you, and trust you, and love you, and follow you. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that that is exactly what will happen during this time right now, that your spirit will teach us as only he can from your word that you will open us up to the truth of your word and that you will open the truth of your word up to us and that you will produce the spiritual fruit and the spiritual results and the spiritual life that only you can. We come to you for that. We need you for that. We confess our dependence on you for that and we trust you for it because of Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray, amen. All right, Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, And now send men to Joppa, and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. "'Rise and go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them.' And Peter went down to the men and said, "'I am the one you are looking for. What's the reason for your coming?' And they said, "'Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say.' So he invited them in to be his guests." The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said four days ago, About this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. that's Acts 10 what's that teach us about God what stands out to you what do you hear God saying to you this morning as a starting place for us okay God often speaks to us while we're praying. Is that a good summary truth of what you were saying there? Yeah, That God spoke both... Cornelius is praying when God sends the angel. Peter's praying when God sends the vision. And maybe we'll just jump straight into an application right here. When you pray... Listen. (laughs) I talk a lot when I pray. Do you talk a lot when you pray? (laughs) And that's okay. Like, you're supposed to talk when you pray. That's part of it. Just remember that you're talking to a living God who is listening to you and is in the business of answering. Like, answering your prayers, granting your requests, being gracious to you, but also speaking back to you, especially through His Word. That we would start this morning. I mean, it's right. We would start this morning and we would pray. And then we would read the word, and our prayer was, God, please speak to us. Help us listen now. God often speaks to us while we're praying. So uh, when you pray, listen. Here's another application. Pray all the time. If you want to hear what God has to say, be in communication with him. Make it the habit of your life. I think I said this a few months ago, but I'm going to say it again because it's been really good for me. I feel like God constantly challenges me with this. To make it the habit of my life to talk to him instead of to think inside my own mind. Like the way God has wired me up, or if you want to say it that way, like I can spin stuff in my head endlessly. Like just, I'm talking. Like I think through every scenario, and I analyze, and I overanalyze, and I plan, and I project. And to just shut all that down and say, this is not for me to talk to me about. Because that's what thinking is. That's you talking to yourself. And listen, I can't do anything about that stuff. I'm not God. I don't have that sort of power. And no wonder it gets me flustered and worked up and anxious and and worried because I'm thinking about all this stuff that I don't actually have any control over if I'm honest with myself. And to stop and say, instead of me bringing all this stuff to me, Like, I'm going to do something about it, and like, I'm the center of the universe. What if I bring all this stuff to him? And you don't have to pretend that it's not on your mind, or that it doesn't matter to you, or that it's not bothering you, or that it's not a big deal. You don't have to pretend any of that. You can come to him and be honest and say, okay, here's the stuff on my mind. Here's the stuff in my heart. I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to bring it to you, and I'm going to tell you where I am, and I'm going to listen to what you have to say, and I'm going to hear from you, and I'm going to trust you to do something about it because you actually can. And so I would encourage you this week, don't think at all. (laughs) Just stop thinking and start praying. Like Every thought that pops into your head, talk to God about it. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to edit it. Don't try to make it more pretty than it is. Talk to him about what it really is and just say, this is where I am right now. I need you to come to me right here, right now. I need your grace and your mercy right here. I need your help right here. I need you to speak right here and just keep talking to him. So God often speaks to us while we're praying. So when you pray, listen and pray all the time. You think I know when Paul says pray continually like, well that's not that's not possible. You think all the time. Some of you worry all the time. Right? If you can worry, you can pray. Just pray what you worry about. Be honest with him about it and let it be his instead of yours. All righty. I know you've only done one again. What else? We're all the same to God and Let's make this. We're all, let's make it really specific here just so we understand what's being said in Acts 10. Like, all races, all nationalities, all peoples, all cultures. There is no partiality with God. That is. I mean it's an ama- it really is an amazing thing if you think about the history of the Bible that God chooses this one man named Abraham like 2000 years before what we're reading about right here in Acts chooses this one man named Abraham and says I'm going to take you and your family and I'm going to make you into a great nation and you're going to be my people. And now even in if you want to go back and read Genesis 12 later the very first time that God talks to Abraham about that he says all nations or all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so listen, God never makes it unclear of, yeah, I'm picking you, but I'm picking you because I've got something to do for the whole world. I'm going to bless the whole world through your, me picking you. is not just about you. It's not just about your family. It's not just about this one nation that I'm going to create that ends up being Israel. It never was just about that. It was always about the whole world. But he does pick this one man and this one family and he creates this one nation. And he calls them his people and he gives them his word. Right? He sends his prophets to them and it's recorded in the Old Testament. And then he sends his Messiah through them that Jesus comes as a Jew through the Jewish people and lives his life in Israel, that all that's true. And when he starts the church, he starts with a bunch of Jews in Acts chapter two, it sends the spirit on them. And the church starts in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria, like the, the whole first section of Acts is all in Israel. And so it really is amazing when you look at all that and the way we would look at it for 2000 years and we think, God prefers the Jews, right? He, he, there's something special that he's chosen them in a way that And then he shows up in Acts 10 and Peter says, you know what God told me today? There's no partiality with him. That his love and his grace and his gospel, the sending of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, is for all people. That everything he's done through the Jews, he has done through the Jews, and that is a special role. He picked them for something. But everything he's done through the Jews, he's done for the whole world. He sent the Messiah through the Jews so that the whole world could know him. And so we say, like, even the Jews aren't, they don't receive favoritism or partiality from God in a way that disqualifies anybody who's not a Jew. And, and I know that when we think about races, nationalities, peoples, cultures, we think about our issues right here today, and we're, you know, we're really tempted to, like, project it into this, this, or this, or this. But the biggest one for most of us, how many of you are Jewish? Nobody? I never know, man. I know some of us can have that in our heritage. I'm not either. Oh, hey, here we go, one. So listen, if God showed favoritism partiality, one of you, good news for you. The rest of us, go home. I mean, do you know how good news this is for us? Like, this is the only reason you sit here. This is the only reason the gospel is for you. This is the only reason that you can know Jesus. And it is good for us in our sort of ethnocentric view of the church and the world sometimes where we think that we're the center of everything God has done and that he's raised us up and using us and sending us out because otherwise it won't get done to realize no we're the ones that benefit from what he did through other people like us knowing is his grace it's him coming and saying I'm going to include you in my people you're not my people but I'm going to make you my people This is grace to us. This is great news for us. And if that's how he's treated us, that we were not his people and he has grafted us in and made us part of his people, then how much more does that define the way that we should desire to reach everybody else with this same good news? That there be no partiality, no, no favoritism whatsoever, no racial divides, no cultural divides, no national divides within the church. That this is one gospel for all people, for all races, that everyone matters to him that that there's all the room in the world for racial diversity and cultural diversity in the church because the thing that unites us is the gospel that's what we have in common and the gospel's for everyone and so yeah we're all the same to god in the sense that all people need the gospel all people need forgiveness of sins. It only comes in the name of Jesus. And that, that offer is extended to all people. We're all the same to God in that sense. And then the, the beautiful thing about that then, when we say we're all the same to God, that doesn't mean that we have to all become the same culturally, racially, nationally. There can be differences and we can embrace them and we can celebrate them and we can say, you know what, that stuff's so insignificant in one sense that it can be totally different and we can still be one because this is not what defines us. It's Jesus and his gospel. And so then there's so much more freedom to love each other and to celebrate each other and to learn from each other because at the very same time that we're all the same to God, we're free to be really, really different in human terms. Like this is, this, the gospel is so much more beautiful culturally than anything the world can offer you, any solution that the world can offer you to racial differences. What the gospel says is racial differences don't matter. Like secondary cultural differences, they don't matter. It's fine because there's something deeper, there's something more significant that's the same for all of us. Do you see that? And this is, like, this is the chapter. Like, this is God, and think about how loud he is about it. He's like, okay, it's time. Like 2,000 years of you all getting this thing wrong and thinking it's just about you. That's what he's telling the Israelites. He's like, I told Abraham from the very beginning that it was for the whole world. And if you read the prophets, over and over and over, he talks about the nations. Read Isaiah. Just read through Isaiah and look at how much he talks about the nations and the Gentiles, even in the Old Testament. And they never hear him. They never hear him. They never hear him. Jesus shows up. You know, James and John are like, hey, can we call down fire on everybody that's not us? And he's like, that's not who I am. You know, Acts 1, what are the disciples asking? Do you remember? when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, Jesus is dead and resurrected, and they still don't get it that it's about the whole world. And that's when he said, oh, that's not even for you to know. Here's what you need to know. The Spirit's coming on you, power for you. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Kingdom for Israel? I want the world. The world's mine. And so after 2,000 years... Of them not getting it. And even you know, staying locked in Jerusalem for the first part of church history until God uses persecution to jar them loose and blow them out. We get to chapter 10, and God's like, All right, it's time for you to realize what this is really about. And he pulls out all the stops. Right? Angel to Cornelius, vision to Peter. And don't overlook because it's like just one sentence in there, but it's not vision to Peter, it's vision to Peter, and then Peter, I remember you. <laughs> you don't get stuff very fast. So same vision again, Peter. And then it's, Peter, I remember you. You don't get stuff very fast. Same vision again, Peter. Like three times, exact same one. And then when Peter's sitting there, he says he's pondering the vision. I'm like, what does that mean? And then the Holy Spirit speaks directly to him. It's like, hey, I've sent some people to come get you. Go with them. So then he shows up, and Cornelius has to tell. Just, you like God saying megaphone right here. No partiality. No one's common or unclean. Not to me. Not when my gospel touches them. Not when I redeem them. Not when I call them my own. Like it's, it's such a loud, loud message from God, and he's shouting to us, saying, "Will your heart be for all peoples? Will your heart be for the nations?" That one of the biggest things for God to do in this local body right here is to raise up people that we would send out with this passion, with this heart, that we would say yeah, that we're a, we are a home base right here for us to come and hear from God and grow strong on his word. But the point is that we would be sent everywhere exactly the way he's talking about right here. That some of you right now, that he's working in your hearts and he's stirring in you, hey, he, he's moving me to do something. He's calling me somewhere. He's calling me to reach people, to reach the nations, Like all peoples, every tribe, tongue, language, and nation with the gospel. And we gather every week partly for that purpose. Like that, that what happens in here, the discipling, the equipping, the empowering would be so that we would go and be that. Because this is the whole mission. This is the whole thing. That he is God over the whole world. He is the creator of the whole world. It all belongs to him. And he wants it as his own people from all over the world. What else stands out to you? Yeah. Uh in the beginning Cornelia Cornelius is a centurion. So he's a Roman. Right. He would definitely not be Jewish. In fact, he Jews would hated him. Right. And so I think because of that, the fact that Peter went to his house, even though he should have feared him, shows that God can work in us even when we're uncomfortable. Yeah, the the fact that um Cornelius is a Roman and, and like a, a powerful Roman over you know, soldiers. that The Jews hated the Romans because the Romans were ruling over them and, and oppressing them. So politically you had this animosity between them. And then culturally and religiously you had all the, the laws and rules for the Jews that they couldn't come into contact. When Peter says, look, I know I'm not supposed to associate with you and come into your house because it makes me unclean. And so you've got political reasons, cultural reasons, religious reasons for this not to happen. And God says the gospel's bigger than all that. The gospel blows your political reasons out of the water and the gospel blows your cultural reasons out of the water and the gospel blows your religious reasons out of the water. That, that we don't define what's common or unclean. God does. And God makes clean. That's one of the truths I had written down, just God makes clean If God wants to take dirty, oppressive Romans who for 2,000 years the Jews have thought it'll make me unclean to associate with them and God declares, no, in Jesus, I've made them clean. God makes them clean. God takes unholy people and makes them holy. God takes dirty people and makes them clean. In the Old Testament, when stuff was offered to God, it's really interesting to me. I didn't see this for a long time, but like when David will go to war, And they'll defeat another nation, and they capture a lot of times like the nation's idols and their gold and their silver, all this you know unholy stuff, stuff that had been offered to false gods, and then David will come and bring that and offer it to God in the temple. And one of the things Jesus says is that the stuff that's offered to God on the altar is sanctified by the altar, made holy by the altar. That the the stuff in itself, and it's really exactly what we were reading here at the beginning, the stuff in itself isn't actually holy or unholy. The question is, is it given to God? That God's the one who's holy, and he makes things holy, and he makes people holy. If you come into contact with him, he'll make you holy. You aren't holy because of you. It's because of him. He sets you apart. He calls you out. He lives in you. And so God makes clean, and this means you can't rule anybody out. Everybody is unholy apart from him. Everybody is unclean apart from him. Everybody should be written off, and nobody is. Not in this gospel that is for all people. And this is why it's for you. And this is why you're not done, and God hasn't written you off, and I don't care what you say this morning. It doesn't mean this doesn't apply to you. I do not care what your story is or what your past is or what your struggles are right now. God makes people clean. God makes people holy. God sets people apart for His purposes, and the things that are given to Him are the things that He sanctifies. Unholy things become holy in His hands. And it's not even how well you offer it. Like it's, it's nothing about you. Right? I and mean, again, that's where we started this morning. The question is not, how strong is my faith? The question is, how faithful is God? That, that's the definition. The question is not, how good have I been? The question is, how good is God? The question is not, what type of religious obedience can I muster up on my own? The question is, what would God give to me as a gift of his grace by the power of his spirit? It's about him. What else stands out to you? Yeah, and I'm going like, to piggyback on that. Like both, God sends a vision to Cornelius, and Cornelius listens and does what God told him to do. And God sends or an angel to Cornelius and a vision to Peter, and Peter listens and does what God tells him to do. And one of the things that stood out to me, and you said people are saved as a result of that, this was huge in my mind. God uses people to speak slash spread the gospel. Because this is silly me trying to be God again and streamline everything for him and act like I'm more efficient than he is. But do any of you read this story and just think, hey God, when you sent that angel to Cornelius, why didn't you just go ahead and have the angel tell Cornelius the gospel? Like we could have cut out a lot of steps here. Has that ever crossed anybody's mind? If you'll notice, that never happens in the whole book of Acts. And I don't know exactly why he's chosen to do this way, but I can tell you he's chosen to do this way. To do it this way. That when the time comes and God is saying, Cornelius needs to hear the gospel, I'm going to send a person. Now I'm going to send an angel to get him ready, and I'm going to give this guy a vision, but it's going to be a person who comes and speaks the gospel. And it is this person Filled with the Holy Spirit, listening to God, being led by God, being led by God into something that makes no sense to him, that seems like there's no way this is what I should be doing. There's impossible barriers that I can't cross and I can't break, but I know God's called me to go here, so I'll go. And when I get there, I'm going to talk about Jesus. And that's when God saves people. This is how he does it. Through people speaking the gospel, people declaring Jesus, just this constant, let me tell you who Jesus is. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, as far away as you can be, the answer is Jesus. Or you know, you're you're a really good religious person like Cornelius. Notice that too. I'll just go ahead and write it down. Good works are not enough to save us. Because here Cornelius is praying, and praying prayers that are coming up before God, offering alms, and, and the angel says, hey, that's been a memorial before God. He sees your generosity, he sees your prayers, and you need Jesus. Do you see that in this story? It's not, hey, you pray a lot and you give a lot, you're a pretty good person that's good enough. You do a lot of good things and it's not enough. And you need Jesus and you need the forgiveness of sins. Only Jesus can save us. Good works are not enough to save us only Jesus can. And so here you have Cornelius, and he's doing good things, but he needs Jesus. And God's giving him Jesus, but the way that God does it is through Peter coming and speaking the gospel. Not an angel, not a vision, a person. Like this is just, this is what he's built the church for, to be his witnesses, to make him known. This is why I'm encouraging you that every day, every week, people he's bringing into your life, you would just sit down and read the Bible with him and say, what's this teach us about God? Because we're the only way they hear. It's the way he's designed it. Jesus looks at his followers right before he goes up into heaven. He says, you'll be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And Peter says it again today. Hey, God handpicked some of us to be witnesses and to make this thing known. This is why we exist. This is why the church exists, to tell people who God is, to tell people about this God who doesn't show favoritism, who who doesn't show partiality, who is an impartial, gracious God extending grace to all people that has enough infinite love and grace to reach everyone if they would just repent and turn to Jesus and call on his name and receive the forgiveness of sins in his name. And so, yeah, that, that God is using these people are we filled with the Spirit, listening, being obedient to then spread the gospel and to save people and it's the only way it happens what else stands out to you? Yeah, so, you know, this is the Jews who've come with Peter. They're amazed because they just, they have no category for this right here. That God would give the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles? To non-Jews? To people who aren't us? And so, another thing you was, I'm just going to write this down. By the way, I want to come back and do some application with a few of these in a minute. But, You could probably say this a hundred better ways than this. God knows what he's doing. God knows (laughs) how ridiculously slow we are. You know one of the things that God knows right here? There's no way the Jews are going to accept the Gentiles. No way that they're letting go of all their religious traditions and everything they've held on to and everything that they've used as their identity. Right? It's been This is who we are God's people, not them. We're clean. They're unclean. We're chosen by God. They're not. And there's no way they're letting go of that unless he absolutely pries their fingers loose and refuses to let them hold on. And so he's like, hey, I've got to show them in a way where they will actually know I'm showing them. Like, it's why it's so drastic and dramatic here. Because they're not, like, when he pours out the Holy Spirit on Gentiles and they have to look and say, oh, my word, he just did the exact same thing for them right here in Acts 10 that he did for us in Acts 2. He's treating them like us. He's accepting them like. He's giving his own spirit to these unclean, common Gentiles. And they can't wrap their minds around it. Like they cannot believe that God would shatter every barrier that they thought was so important to who they are as God's people. But he knows. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows <laughs> that it needs to be Peter with a group of other guys there seeing what's going on, and that it needs to be irrefutable because this is the only way, this is the only way they'll ever believe that he's doing it. And when we get to chapter 11, uh, Eric's going to preach for us next week, but so two weeks from now, when we get to chapter, and he's doing some of the miracles that the students have been looking at on Wednesday nights. Um, But in two weeks, when we get to chapter eleven, you're going to see that when Peter and them go back, like to the Jewish church, the first response is, "What in the world were you doing hanging out with Gentiles?" (laughs) It's exactly what God expects. Like it's not like the first response is not praise God. The gospel's for everybody, and He's reaching the Gentiles. The first response is, "You broke our rules." How dare you go talk to a Gentile and tell him about Jesus? (laughs) God knows. Listen, he knows your heart. He knows your little idols and all the things that you set up to have self-worth and that you identify with. And he's coming in. He's saying, let me shatter all that. And let me give you myself. And let me set you free from all that. And sometimes he has to do it in really big... He knows what it takes to get your attention. And so he does. He knows how ridiculously slow we are. He knows what he's doing. And listen, we're not going to stop him from what he's doing. You need this vision three times? Fine. Because this is going to happen. You need me to send an angel to Cornelius? Fine. You need me to pour out the Holy Spirit in such an undeniable way that everybody looks and they can't believe what's happening? Fine. Because I'm making this happen. (laughs) It depends on who he is and not who we are. A few applications really quickly right here. And that God uses people to speak and spread the gospel. I'm just going to come down here. I know you can't see that all at once. But I want to talk really practically about us as a church right now. I know I keep encouraging you every week. And this is what God's made you for. This is what he's called you to do as part of his church. And, and, and to have your eyes open to people that he's bringing into your life, you know, your family and your neighbors and your coworkers, and and students at school and teammates, um, the, the teams that you're coaching, just this, whoever God has in your circles, that it would be, how can I point them to who God is? How can I share this? And, and I hope you see, by the way, when we get together this week, this is not like it's for just unbelievers or just believers. This is for everybody. The gospel is for everybody. If, if they don't know Jesus yet, they need the gospel, and they need to know who Jesus is. And if they know Jesus, you know what they need? More of the gospel and to know more of who Jesus is. Like If you ever wake up a day in your life and you think, I don't need the grace of Jesus today. I don't need Jesus to sustain me today. I don't need Jesus to make me holy today. We need to start all over. (laughs) Like We need the gospel every day for the rest of our lives. We need the Spirit of God producing in us what only he can. That's why Jesus says you have to abide in him, stay connected to him. He is always the source of spiritual life, not just at the beginning, but the whole way through, all the way till the end. It's always him. And so we're, I'm not even talking about are you discipling unbelievers or believers. I'm talking about are you discipling people, pointing people to God, talking to people about who God is. But if you want like an entry spot, if you're starting to feel like, I know God's calling me to do this, but I'm still hesitant. I'm still, like, I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And, yes, I know I'm focusing too much on me and not on who God is and all that stuff, and I know what you're going to tell me. Fine. Like, here's two great areas. Like, and I would like for you to consider these like, safe training grounds right here with in what we do inside this building. On Sunday mornings with our children, Miss Teresa does a large group teaching every week. And she, she prepares, she teaches, none of that's on you. But the main question is, what's this teach us about God? And what we would love to have is enough volunteers to serve in there that we could break our children up for the, the latter portion of children into small groups. And you would facilitate just this conversation of what's this teach you about God today? And you saw, those of you here last week, you saw the things that God's showing our kids. Like, no offense, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. Like, it does not depend on you for them to see God. He is showing himself to them, but for you to be there and facilitate. And what's this teach us about God? And if that's who God is, what's God saying to you right now in your life? And it would be great for us to be discipling that way. It'd be great for us to be hearing from our kids. And it would. It would be a blessing to what we try to do on Sunday mornings at the church to have some of you serve in there on a rotation. Like she'd love to get it set up for people in there one, month, one Sunday a month. And, and just facilitating that section and for you to get your feet wet and say, this is what it's like. This is not me teaching them. This is us looking at God together. And the exact same thing that you do with an eight-year-old in there, you can do with a 48-year-old out there. I promise you. Like It doesn't change at all except the eight-year-olds know a lot more about God. <laughs> so that's one option. The other one is on Wednesday nights with our students. Eric is teaching the same way. And right now they're going through the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. And every week they study a miracle. He asks, what this, what's this teach us about God? And they talk through it. And, you know, what's God saying to your life right now? And we'd love to have breakout groups at the end and some of you discipling our students, meeting with our students, being discipled by our students, but facilitating those little groups. And so if you're looking for a place to serve and you're looking for a place to really say, I do want to learn how to do this more. I want to be trained more. Like those are kind of our two safe training ground options for you right now, as long as you know that the purpose of that is for you to launch from there to this. And so if you're interested Fill it out on your worship guide today, the tear-off portion. Drop it back there where we put all of our tithes and offerings. Or grab Miss Teresa at the end, or grab Eric, or just any of us that want to know more about that. And I know that they would love to talk to you about being plugged into, how do we believe this, that God uses people to speak these truths about Jesus. God uses people to point each other to Jesus, to remind each other of the truth about Jesus, to keep speaking it into our lives over and over and over. Because like, I need people like this to keep telling me, it's true, it's true, keep believing it, don't let it leak out of you, fill back up. It's true, it's true, it's true. And he has that role for you right here in this body and out in the world. So that was a big thing. The other thing, God knows what he's doing, God knows how ridiculously slow we are I've just gotten to hear a bunch of stories this week of ways that God's multiplying stuff, and I wanted to remind you that he is doing what he promises that he's doing. Um, And so you may remember almost five months ago, we had some missionary friends of mine who came, who are missionaries in Peru, and shared with us about their ministry there and how God's using soccer to reach a bunch of kids and families, and they're trying to plug them into local churches, Well, since they've gone back to Peru uh, the past four months, I think they've been there for four months now, God has blown up their ministry in terms of just the amount of children and families that he's bringing into their ministry. And about two months ago, Miguel texted me and he said, our local churches aren't equipped to handle all these families. He's like, I'd really like to talk to you more about the Bible study method that you used that Sunday morning that we were there. I was like, I'd love to talk to you about it. And so he and I have Zoomed, I think, four times now. The first time, we just kinda did an overview, and then the last three times, we've texted together an Old Testament and a New Testament passage each time, so we've texted six passages together. Well, about three weeks ago, they held this conference where they brought in like all their coaches and all their workers from, like I think, six major regions of Peru, Like it was a really big thing, and he trained them in this method. And he sent them all back out, like all over Peru. Another nation, right? Another culture, another language, two different languages down there. And you've got like 40 different coaches in six regions of Peru now with hundreds of children down there saying, What's this teach us about God? It has nothing to do with us. And I know that we walk in this building on a Sunday morning and we don't see those 8,000 people. So what? He didn't call us to cram a bunch of people in a room. He called us to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. And he is doing that. Like, he is doing that. And he's doing it in spite of how ridiculously slow we are to believe that that's really what he wants us to do. And so that has encouraged me just to know. And and so last week, Miguel got invited to preach at one of these churches And so he did the same thing. He stood up and he taught this church, this local church there. Here's this method that you can use. Because he's not just saying, okay, well, the churches aren't ready to make disciples the way they should. Because listen, that's true of us. Do you know how true that is of the North American church? That we are not ready to make disciples the way that God's called us to? That we need him to open our eyes and say, my spirit and my word are enough for you. And I've given you that. Will you trust that? And will you go do it? And so this is no kind of slam on churches in Peru. Like... But he, went to, he didn't say, but we're going to bypass the local church, and now we'll just train our leaders, and they'll do this. He goes to the local church and says, here's what we're training our leaders to do, and he shares it with them, and now you've got a local church in Peru that's saying, hey, we see how to do this. So that's encouraged me. And then I walk in this morning, and I, somebody had mailed a card to the church. These are some members of ours. We've had two different families of ours who've moved uh, to different states in the past couple of months. And it's one of those things it does. like, I know as your staff, when we sit in a staff meeting on Mondays, It does challenge you of, do I believe all these things about God? Because I can't tell you how much it's in all of us to be like, we want our kingdom here, and if you take our good people, what about our kingdom here? (laughs) And he's like, I'm not restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time. (laughs) Ends of the earth, they're my people. I call my people. I move my people. You send my people. Don't hoard my people. Send my people. And so anyway, I got this card from one of the families, and and it was addressed to me. And Sydney brought it up like I was get, plugging it in my iPad, and she brought it to me. And so I know this the timing of it was providential. Um, and they were encouraging me. Um, so we're skipping that part. They said they're still listening. They're in Alabama now, so you can pray for them. Um, Here, finally, sorry. We're seeking a local body with community groups. We look forward to introducing someone, and hopefully a lot of someones, to the text method of studying the Bible. And it's just, it's this simple. We think, oh, we lost a really good family. And God says, I just infected a whole other church with a disciple-making method that's centered on me. You didn't lose a family. You sent a family equipped to do exactly what you're supposed to be doing. We're three chapters away in Acts. Have you seen just how drastically he does this? If you want to read to Acts 13, where he's like, I'm going to take the very best that you've got, and I'm going to send them somewhere else. Because I've got stuff to do all over the world. And I I just want to encourage all of us this morning to believe that this is what he's doing. And to believe that it is worth it to trust him. And to believe that he knows what he's doing and he knows the best way to do it. And listen, if you wake up and you've got to decide, does it depend on what I see or what God has said? Does it depend on what I feel or who God is? The only thing that matters is what he has said and who he is. I guess the whole thing, you get on an airplane, it does not matter how reliable you are, it matters how reliable the pilot is. I know we don't take ships and voyages like she was talking about today, more we fly. The pilot is reliable, all right? He's going to get us where he says we're going. And your job is to trust him to believe, like to go where he's taking you. It matters who he is. If he has spoken, if he has said something, if he has promised something, you don't see it at all, it's okay. It doesn't depend on you seeing it. It depends on what he said. It depends on how trustworthy he is. It depends on the fact that he always keeps his promises. You may not see it right now, but he is doing it. It may not feel like it to you, but he is doing it. And I would just encourage you, like, just throw away everything you see and you think and you feel and stop being focused on that and just look to him and see who he is and believe what he's doing and say, Here I am, however you want to use me. I believe it. I believe, like, the other thing that stood out to me, God, we said God uses people, lots of people to accomplish his work. So it's clear he does it. And here's what I meant by, mean by that. For several weeks now, I keep saying, hey, this is it happening. Like Jesus said ends of the earth. That's where this thing was headed. And, and we looked back and we were like, Philip, he went out there with the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's ends of the earth. Right? This is the gospel going to Ethiopia. But then guess what? We're done with Philip in this story. Because it's not about Philip, right? It's about God. And then we're like, oh, now he's calling Paul. And he's telling Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And Paul is going to be this missionary church planner, And we're going to hear, like his story is just starting. But then like Acts 9, God says, I'm calling Paul for this reason. And then Acts 10, when God starts doing it, he doesn't use Paul. Doesn't that feel ironic? He's like, now I'm going to go use Peter to do it. So is it Philip? Yes. Is it Paul? Yes. Is it Peter? Yes. And if you want to back up to Acts 2, do you remember what happened on the very first day? You got 15 different language groups in Jerusalem. They can't understand what the apostles are saying, but the Holy Spirit makes them all able to understand in their own language. Like God brought ends of the earth to Jerusalem day one. So it would be really clear, Like God's the one doing this. Why did those 15 language groups hear the gospel? Because of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit only. Now, he still used somebody who spoke. Peter spoke, but they didn't even know what Peter was saying. And it's like he's saying, like it doesn't ever all depend on you. You're not that important, so be humbled. And also there's not that kind of pressure on you, so relax. And then he says, I'm going to use you as a piece of it. And you be the piece I'm calling you to be. Just trust me, if I send you out into the desert, go tell that Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus. And if I call you to be a missionary and a church planter, go wherever I lead you and plant churches wherever I lead you. And if I send you to a Roman centurion's house and you think there's no way I should walk in there, go and talk about Jesus. It's not all going to depend on you, and it's not all going to depend on me. But he's got a place for you, and he's got a place for me. And that is incredibly humbling, and also incredibly freeing. And I hope you hear both those things this morning. Anything else you want to say? I'm going to wrap us up. Something that God's putting on your heart. all right, I gave you your shot. Um, I did, I got to have one other conversation this week with a family in our church, and I'm not trying to put a spotlight on them or any pressure on them, but in the course of that conversation, they were talking about how God is putting a, a passion in their hearts for the nations and, and talking about things they can do here where they're reaching out to international people and even having like meals in their homes for international people, and then the thought of God may be leading us to the mission field internationally in the next few years. Um, and and not saying that's death, but it just reminded me again that when we come and gather in this one place to encounter God together, we are encountering the God who is the God of the whole world, and he's the God who really does work in individual hearts, and he calls out individual people to be part of this worldwide mission. Like, you can't underestimate the significance of this moment when we would come together and pray and depend on God and open up the Bible and focus on God and say, God, Stir in our hearts. Do these things. Do these crazy things. Break down. I wrote this down in my notes. I didn't put it on here, but I'm not going to bother writing it down. God breaks down impossible barriers. That's what happened in Acts chapter 10. Everything that existed, humanly speaking, should have stopped the gospel from going from the Jews to the Gentiles. And God shattered it all. He shattered it all. And whatever barriers you think it is in your life between you and people keeping you from doing this, I promise you God is bigger than those barriers and God is using his church to shatter those impossible barriers and God is still keeping his promises. Because he already did it all in Jesus. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Like This was the message. He's done it all in Jesus. He offers it all to you in Jesus. Jesus is keeping his promises. Jesus is enough for his church. Nothing is stopping him. He tore down impossible barriers for you. It is impossible for somebody who's dirty to come in the presence of a clean God. It is impossible for somebody who is impure to come in the presence of a pure God. It is impossible for somebody who's unholy to come in the presence of a holy God. And Jesus shattered those impossible barriers for you. He took your dirt and he took your impurity and he took your unholiness and he took it on himself and he removed it from you forever and he washed you clean. He makes you clean. He makes you pure. He makes you holy. You are His. You are set apart for Him. I pray that He will fill us with His Spirit and use us for His purposes, just like what we're seeing in His Word. Will you pray that with me right now? Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. And thank You for Jesus. Thank you that you are building your church, that you have been for 2,000 years, and that nothing can stop you, and that it all depends on you, and so we come and we depend on you. And we ask you, please do what only you can. We trust you in the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.